listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 501. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the Fox series Fringe Season 2. And you were uh, on the road this past Mm -hmm. weekend, and once again, we had a little bit of a snafu with uh, downloading this week's podcast. And fortunately, Fred always alerts me to that. So it wasn't as bad as what happened a couple weeks ago, but I think I got it straightened out. Uh, I'm telling you, we've mentioned Podbean before. That's our, our host. And I've heard other podcasters criticize them. Well, we've been using Podbean for over 12 years, and I've got nothing but praise for their um, you know, technical support people. Somebody contacted me within 20 minutes. Wow. That's and good. troubleshoot. Troubleshooted the troubleshot, power, troubleshooted sh- troubleshot. Maybe. I guess the problem and it uh, worked. So uh, hopefully that'll be the end of it. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, but thank you, Fred, so, for the heads uh, up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's weird because he sent me a screenshot of uh, Dutch iTunes, <laughs> which was kind of cool. I mean, it uh-huh. looks the same, but of course everything's right. in Dutch. So anyway, well. Fred sends us his feedback each week. If you would like to send us an email, audio clip, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that. All right. Now, for tip of the week, what I'm watching, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, it's kind of what I'm going to do here. You know, I've mentioned for several years now that my wife and I are pretty entrenched in watching international shows. And, and, and I guess just what, I mean, not that it just struck me now, but they just give you a flavor that's sorely missing from American television where it seems like every show is set in a big city somewhere. Right. And on the Except one hand... for, um, what was that show? Uh, well, Northern Lights. Well, Outer Range. Oh, Northern Lights. Right, yeah. right, right. Outer but, you range, know, it's one of the things I liked about... Yeah. But, you know, while I haven't seen Yellowstone, uh, I've certainly read, you know, how critically acclaimed it is. And, and, and I get that maybe that's one of the reasons. I mean, of course, good story, good acting right. and all that. But that it's set somewhere, you know, in, in a locale that we don't ordinarily see. So, uh, you know, uh, which brings me to what. But, well, which we found out with Outer Range is I don't necessarily want to see that, though, you know. But then where else are you going to see like people in cowboy hats uh, body slamming to thrash metal music? You know? And traveling through time. Yeah, true. So, uh, which kind of brings me to what we've been watching uh, of late. And, and, you know, maybe this is something that, that wouldn't interest you, although I really do think it would if you were into crime dramas, which I know you're really not well, that into. Well, I'm not not. Right. You just got so many other things on your yeah. schedule at the at the moment. At but, the moment, my, my schedule is booked, man. Right. But we watched this Finnish show that takes place in the Lapland. You mean you didn't watch the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> takes place in the Lapland region of finland which is you know up in the north pole santa Mm -hmm. claus and all that called arctic circle it's on prime i believe and you know it's just such a bleak atmosphere because everywhere you go it's snow you know they i mean they do travel by car but they also travel by now, you know, we would know them as snowmobiles. They call them ski which I think is probably a brand name as well. But, um, you know, it's just it, it, it's just so different. And, and the mm-hmm. storylines are, you know, certainly complex enough to, you know, keep us engrossed. And, you know, we finished that off and now we're watching a show that's on Netflix called The Wall. And it takes place in northern Quebec, also near the North Pole. Not quite as snow-covered, but still pretty darn snow-covered and and not quite as bleak, but still kind of bleak. But the interesting thing, it's so cold. North of the Laval? I'm not sure what that is. It's a part of Quebec. Oh, okay. It's like, I don't know anything about Oh, there's a university. Because one of the characters went to Laval University, nah, or University okay. of Laval, but whatever. But 
it's so inhospitable in this area that what they did was they built something that's called, and it's a real thing. It's called the wall. And it, it looks like it's just two long stretches of buildings uh, that form a 90 degree angle and, and connect, you know, together they're almost a mile long so that you've got virtually everything housed within the wall, you know, residential homes, uh, businesses, the police station, just everything so that when the weather is the worst, nobody has to go outside. So it's pretty cool. You see the cops walking to the police station and they're, you know, they're going by the, you know, the, uh, the beauty shop, they're going by the, uh, the, the computer store. And then they, you know, right there is the police station. So they never, it never takes them long to get to the scene of a crime. But cool. uh, anyway, The Wall on Netflix. Nice. All right, what do you And got? Arctic Circle. And Arctic Circle on Prime. Cool. Well, I am pretty psyched about uh, the stuff I'm watching this week. So the first one is I'm finally on season two of Alice in Borderland. And I'm just watching like, man, next time we're deciding, I am going to really advocate for Alice in Borderland. No, you won't get any argument from me. You know? Like this is a legit good show. Season two, a little bit different, you know, not quite as much character development as we got in season one, you know. Two things standing out from season two. I'm sure you're going to know exactly. The first one is, and after I just said not as much character development, one of the best characters, certainly one of the best temporary characters I've ever seen is the naked guy um, in the early episodes of season two. Sure. He was awesome. He was such a great character, man. And uh, so, yeah, that that was that was that was awesome. That was great. Now, the downside is that one of these episodes was making me at least feel guilty about not doing math because there's a lot of math involved. And I started to try and figure out what they were talking about math wise, and then I just quit because my brain said I don't want to think about math. This is why we stopped taking it halfway through senior year of high school. Um, so thumbs up, naked guy, thumbs down, math. Um, okay. I think I've got two episodes left, though. So. Okay, yeah, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on the finale, for okay. sure. Um, the other, I don't, you, if you haven't watched this, Dave, you need to watch it ASAP. Like, probably tonight is the 30 for 30 of the Bullies of Baltimore. I haven't. I, I know about that. Is that Netflix or it's HBO? ESPN. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You could you could you only have to pay nothing for it, man. You could go watch it tonight on on the um on demand. Okay. Uh absolutely awesome. Probably my favorite thirty for thirty, only well, because it's about the you know, the Ravens uh two thousand and one season. But uh you know, just uh, you know, like I just I remember it uh, so well. You know, a lot of those games I remember, especially the Super Bowl. Yeah, I remember that uh, very well in the AFC Championship, and the they, they went five weeks without scoring a touchdown, and you know Trent Dilfer coming in uh, for Tony Banks halfway through the season. You know, just all these things, and of course, just the the of course it focuses on the defense of that team and just how badass that the defense was. But, um, you know, I think any football fan would appreciate it, whether you are a Ravens lover or as the rest of the country outside of Baltimore is a Ravens hater. It's, it's awesome. And it, it very prominently features, uh, the late Tony Siragusa, um, who died like about a month after they, they finished filming the documentary. So, um, little poignant moments with him, but he, you know, like as as Goose did in life, he uh, completely stole the show. Um, so I think Suzanne, you were you were wondering about the Ravens. A uh, good place to start if you can get uh, ESPN thirty for thirties over in Germany. I would highly recommend the uh, the Bullies of Baltimore. I think if you you you'll definitely be a Ravens fan afterwards. So which, as we said before, I don't know if you want that really. So maybe don't watch it. All right, is that it? All right. Yeah, I mean, that's all, I'll talk about. I have another thing listed, but I've, I've taken enough time. I'll talk about the other one next week. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, let's get to Fringe 
Season 2, Episode 2, Night of Desirable Objects, written by Jeff Pinkner and J.H. Wyman, who I don't know if they wrote together in Season 1, but but they wrote multiple episodes in, in that first season. Directed by Brad Anderson, who also directed the Season 1 finale. This one aired September 24th, 2009. So I certainly like this episode. I, I, I guess a little disappointed they didn't focus a little bit more on the overarching mythology of you know yeah, multiverse I, you know, or, I think that's they they did that last season as well if i remember they would throw something out there and then you know you'd think they'd follow up with it the next episode and they really don't they did a little bit they kind of touched on it just to remind us that it's there but yeah they definitely they 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 end with a big you know, reveal slash cliffhanger slash whatever. And um, they really don't, uh, you know, they just go back to a monster of the week this week. Right. And the one thing I was thinking about the monster of the week approach, and, you know, we certainly talk about genre television as encompassing science fiction, fantasy, supernatural, and horror. So we've certainly got the science fiction elements here with the hybrid creation of uh, Dr. Hughes, but the horror elements are here as well. Yeah. And, and I think it's almost like that, that perfect marriage uh, of the two because it's not gruesome, but it kind of is. And the lighting when they're underground gives us just enough of this horror that we don't have to turn away and, and cover our eyes. Not yeah. saying that I ever do that. Right. <laughs> well, and then there's a jump scare in there that, that I should have been expecting, but it's been a while since I've seen it. So it's uh, it got me. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other thing I started thinking about once we learned that, you know, the uh, monster is this genetic creation that combines human DNA with that of a scorpion, which okay, and something uh, else like some yeah like, a, like some burrowing creature too right and and it brought me back to ZFT mm-hmm. and I thought well could this be connected to that but I don't think so because once we learn the Hughes story how his wife suffered from lupus and despite what Walter says you know that that she shouldn't have been able to give birth uh apparently she did and we don't learn really at what point dr hughes gets involved with manipulating dna i mean he did he do it uh, you know before his wife gave birth so i mean unless i miss that no i don't I, I, that's a detail i don't think they really gave to us we just assume that he's a scientist who or a geneticist um in the first place i i assumed I don't. I didn't think he was a doctor, like an MD. No, I didn't either. You know, when I saw the periodic uh, table on his wall, right? Like we These, see, yeah, in, like the Doctor Frankenstein lab there, and everything. Right. Every science class in America, probably, and around the world, probably has that. Uh, but, but it, I still can't exactly figure out what happened because clearly they buried the baby boy. Right. Because we know he buries uh, burrows out of the. Did I just say burrows? Yeah. Oh, God, I guess we're going to be saying that a lot over the next ten years. Well, twice. A, yeah. Let's, twice let's, a year. Let's see if we can find another word. Though. Yeah, he yeah. digs. Yes. Um, there we go. Uh, that that's a Cincinnati Bengal joke for you. Uh, yeah. Uninitiated out there, but but in in other words, he apparently was dead buried and then burrows out so that kind of dead yeah right uh so so what happened Uh, because i i can't imagine that dr hughes would allow his son to be buried if he wasn't dead so then i'm assuming he was manipulating the genetics and the dna in the womb because yeah. nothing else makes sense, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. As opposed to, I mean, yeah, he says that's what the, they told they told us that because um, that was the reason he was doing it. 
was because the the baby for the baby to survive, he would have to quote like toughen them up or whatever in the womb. Okay. Otherwise, okay. the the he would. I I can't remember what, but because of the lupus, he, he would would kill the baby, would kill the, the fetus. So then, I guess by all indications, they buried what they thought was a dead child and you know as you said not quite dead so whether it was the scorpion dna that somehow you know activated itself who knows but uh but speaking of burial something that i missed completely the first time and that is a comment that walter makes yeah i I believe at the exhumation site Mm -hmm. right when he says the grave of a boy who's not in his grave. Yeah. And of course we know exactly why that's so significant. Yes. So we do now. We we, we didn't for a lot of season one, but yeah. Right. So obviously Peter has no idea of Olivia, no one except the audience and Walter. So, you know, one of the things that that has been developing, of course, is the relationship between Walter and Peter. And and Fred brings that up in his feedback because we were talking about it uh, last week as well. So, you know, it's almost as if Walter's talking out loud hoping that peter will say well what are you talking about except in this case there'd be no reason right why peter would right well i mean walter says so many dotty things as it is like you know something like that period probably just like i I, i'm not i I can't even be bothered to ask i don't want to know yeah (laughs) like yeah yeah, part is probably i don't want to know probably just like it's just some goofy explanation like i'm not even gonna ask so yeah now, we've been talking about the, the relationship between father and son. The other thing, and, and it's really just a very brief scene, but I feel like it's it's fairly important, and that's the trust that is developing between Broyles and Peter, because it wasn't so long ago that Olivia basically blackmails Peter into leaving the Middle East. right. To come back to the states to Wait, she tricked me also right extricate his father from Saint Clair's mental institution and and you know and Broyles was never really completely comfortable with Peter Bishop as being part of the team but but now you know it was almost one of those things that that scene from God, I can't remember if it was episode one of season two or, or at the end of. Uh, I think it was the end of season one where Olivia's going on and on with Broyles and, and he's like, stop, you, you, you can go. I agree with you. It's yeah, bears right. investigation. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of thing happens here. You know, and, and right. Cause we forget like Broyles was an antagonist at first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I mean that, that they definitely, that, you know, as we, we know when talking about season one, that, that, um, you know, relationship, uh, completely turned around pretty quickly yeah so it looks like peter's gonna have a bed of his own and uh walter you know they'll have their own rooms and all that and it looks like their uh their vehicle kind of improved they weren't driving the uh old family station wagon they had a lincoln navigator i think oh is that what it was yeah well and also peter says hey i think we should check this out and bros is like yeah okay yeah, so Peter is now instigating investigations for Fringe Division as well. So you can see him really uh, stepping into his role here. Yep. So let's go and talk about the Monster of the Week. That's the opening scene. And anybody that's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows that Wayne thinks kids can absolutely be creepy as hell. Yes. But what maybe... Even I might even put above kids are scarecrows. No kidding. Oh yeah. man! And here's the thing. So I am forever scarred, and I actually had to look this up. So I saw this scarecrow, and of course it creeps me out. And I'm like, and I know why it creeps me out. I'm like, when I was a kid, I saw this movie. It was a TV movie. It was about this guy. He was like a mentally challenged dude, and like 
these guys are trying to think he, you know, these guys are out to get him. And so he like hides inside a scarecrow and they kill him. And then like the rest of the movie is like some, his vengeful spirit having vengeance upon them of all the, the people who killed him. And, I, and I'm like, man, that movie, like I, I, I so clearly remember the beginning of that movie and I wasn't even sure what the name of it was or when I saw it. And so I looked it up. It was a TV movie in 1981. Now I will tell you something, David. In 1981, my parents did not let me watch scary movies. So I think this was a mom and dad went out for the night and somehow I was able to watch this movie or I was staying over at someone's house and I watched this movie because there's no way my parents would have let me watch this movie when I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, but that thing, that movie has traumatized me. It's called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, by the way. I had to look it up because I didn't even know. But now I know, I know the thing that haunts me. I know its name now. Nice. Um, but man, ever since I saw that movie, like, I don't know, Scarecrows were probably creepy before that. But I mean, ever since that, like, I see that, like, that's the first thing. When I saw that Scarecrow in that cornfield, I'm like, Oh my God! It's that movie. It's that movie. Oh no! Like I, I couldn't remember if the scare if it was a scarecrow thing. So I was like expecting the scarecrow to come down and like get people and everything. And, like the whole time, even after I knew it was a different monster, I'm just like, watch out for that scarecrow, man. So well, and and then Peter even says to uh, Sheriff Go Lightly, uh, I bet he knows more than he's saying yeah whatever he makes a yeah, reference. And I'm like, the... Peter, don't don't look at the scarecrow. Don't talk to the scarecrow. Just get away exactly we figure they're going to walk away and we're going to see the scarecrow move or something like that but uh yeah you know the, right the other th- right i was totally expecting that man i was like so creeped out oh my god i was on edge this whole episode now you know the other thing that struck me about that scene the second time i watched it and it really doesn't have anything to do with analysis of the episode but i, I i'm looking at okay this is a construction site with some pretty heavy machinery, they've got you know those really big pieces of uh, pipe that they're going to you know lay some sort of an irrigation system or whatever. David, are you saying that they were laying pipe in the field? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and it got me thinking. All right, I wonder if they found a construction site somewhere and said, "Hey, we'll pay you." If we can film here, we'll bring our actors in and dress them up as construction workers and all that. But just, you know, give us half a day and we're going to film it here Oh, because it would seem to be a big expense right. to go to, for, to. Which doesn't contribute to the story really at all, except for why else is this random guy going into the field in the first place? Right. Exactly. So uh, anyway, not, not. Which important. he shouldn't have. I mean, you would really, I would have to be very, very curious to go into a any kind of field with a scarecrow right there. Well, what draws him in there? Y- you know, he can't really see anything from you know the the road. We don't hear anything. I mean, he's not Olivia with right. heightened acu- uh, oral acuity. So, what draws him in there is never clear. But yeah, that shadowy figure grabs him and boom, drags him underground and and. Uh, you know, there we go. And, yeah. you know, and if you see a blue hand poking out of the ground, I, I know it's just human curiosity, but man, watch it. Watch a horror movie every once in a while. Like, it's just, it's so, it's like the people don't even know the rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, talking about knowing the rules, and I'm making air quotes, again, we know that Olivia is probably not fit to be back at work and i i think we get our answer that hell no she's not when she nearly (laughs) kills peter yeah up up in uh you know dr hugh's office but even before that when when she kind of loses her train of thought as, as as they're talking to the sheriff and it's like peter just has this ability to shift the conversation however uncomfortable it is into somewhere comfortable and and that's of course how we get to the title of this episode and right. I, I just thought it was brilliant and again it's just it's what partners do yes. and but what partners don't do 
is shoot at each other. Well, they don't. And did you see the look on his face? He, he yeah. was pissed. If, if, yeah. That, that, if, if this weren't on uh, network television, he would have been definitely dropped the F-bomb there. So, and, and, and you feel bad for her, but... On the other hand... On the other hand, exactly. You can't just go shooting, Olivia. Like, come on, you, you're a trained FBI agent. You know, you have to... Yeah, yep. she's just so yeah. She's she should not be in the field. Is is as you said clearly right. And and you know whether this heightened hearing is a result of traveling between universes, which I think at this point we'd have to say that's a fairly good possibility. And the fact that she's not exactly sure what happened to her, you know, but but it's like she says to Walter later that. You know, I went somewhere, I talked to somebody, but after that, I'm not really sure because we keep waiting for her to you know, acknowledge that she met with William Bell. You know, I, I think we then wanted to see, well, what's Walter's reaction going to be? Because he's talked about Belly how many right. times Yeah, yeah. over the first season. Well, and, and Yeah. And this also like, you just kind of brought something up that I was thinking because, you know, I think last time we just maybe kind of assumed that the, the shapeshifters are there at the behest of William Bell, as he's the only person who knows that Olivia can move from one world to the other. But yet like the big thing that they're trying to do is to get her to remember something. So are they trying to get her to remember who she talked to? And then that would seem to indicate that, I mean, I William, if it were William Bell behind this, he, kn- he knows who she talked to. You know, why does he have to go to all this effort to get her to remember it, right? Right. And So maybe it's a, a, a different party that's at play here. Right. And, and it does seem as if, well, well it doesn't seem because we, we know that Nina is perfectly aware that William Bell is in another universe. You know, yeah. we, we got that at the end of season one. So, you know, what else does she know? Obviously she knows far more than has been revealed at this point. So I, I you know, again, yeah. I guess we'll just leave that there. So well, but we that's Nina's like thing, right? Like we, sure. we always know that she knows more than she's letting on. And we don't know whether we can trust her or not. Cause sometimes she helps him out. And sometimes it thinks it seems like she's not helping him out so much. So. Yeah, and, and and certainly this is one of the problems with us covering Fringe, which is a rewatch for us, and and we're full fully aware that for a lot of you guys out there, this is a first watch, and you know we we always try to avoid spoilers. And in fact, last week I. I I cut in and, and tried to stop you because I thought you were spoiling something. And then you said, no, 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 you know, uh, that was revealed. And, you know, and like, you're right. I forgot. Of course, for you guys out there, I edited that part out. So yeah. you didn't, you didn't hear Wayne yelling you didn't, at me. You didn't hear Dave yelling at me. So, you know, we do our best. Uh, we'll probably have a minor slip up or two along the way, but, yeah. but well, we and, are and, doing our best. And honestly, like, I mean, I, I, like the the big big things like I remember, but like for example, when the 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 the, the scorpion mole boy grabbed Olivia, I jumped, I yelled out the f word, <laughs> everything. I totally forgot that that happened. I mean, I knew that there was going to be a showdown. Obviously, I mean, I wouldn't have had to have seen the episode before to know it's going to be a showdown between you know. Scorpion Mole Boy and, and you know the FBI here, but when his head popped out, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> well." And then we're also thinking, like, how many bruises does a poor woman have to have on her body? Because we yeah. see when she's getting dressed after getting examined by the, uh, I guess, the FBI doctor that right. her, you know she took quite a beating in that car accident. But the other thing, and we've certainly talked about this in virtually every science fiction show that we've covered, and that is the the scientist that is completely unaware or chooses to be unaware about the consequences of his or her work. And when Walter is completely thrilled that we may have a 
human scorpion hybrid creation and he thinks it's wonderful and peter's like no it's really not walter (laughs) no and we understand that about walter so it's certainly great that that peter you know is that other side of of the scientists that that we absolutely have to have unless we want to blow the world up which you know i guess science fiction likes to explore that area but sure in reality not so much yeah so yeah all right well we talked about olivia's senses a little bit so i I think it's really just hearing at this point yeah it seems like yeah right hearing but uh it's not good you know this is this is a very bad thing that causes you to almost uh shoot your partner uh uh, you know it's not for lack of trying either um so yeah like you know, all of these things uh, are seem to be symptoms of her traveling to the other world, um, and you know we we still don't really know the full details of of what happened to her over there. Yeah, right, right. So, were you surprised Hughes hangs himself in the interrogation room? And um, more to the point, were you surprised nobody was keeping a damn eye on him? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. At first, I thought we. Used- tearing up all the metal i'm like oh is he just gonna like is he gonna like shock himself you're right exactly sure you know? but no he, he he actually which you would think you would you know you'd be like oh i'm kind of on the clock here i need to if i want to kill myself i'm gonna come up with the most expedient method but no he uh tears out all the metal he weaves it into a noose and hangs himself which seems like someone should have checked in on him in the time it took him to do that or here's another thought don't leave things in a room with someone you're interrogating that they can turn into, you know, things that they can kill themselves with. Yeah. So work to right. other people with. Right. I right, fine. Yeah, we overlook a lot in our there, genre and, and there's TV. someone, you know, I'll, I'll leave it till when we're talking about Fred's feedback, but I mean, I'm starting, not starting to realize. I mean, just if, if you're watching fringe and you enjoy fringe, then there's a certain, element of suspension of disbelief that you have to you have to be on board with because there's a lot of stuff that happens that if if we're gonna i mean really scorpion mole boy well okay really like you know like that's just like an example of how we're like okay let it go and obviously i'm watching it everyone watches like how on earth is a guy in fbi custody able to manufacture a noose from metal whatever you know like it's almost preposterous to think about, but we right, let but it that, go. Right, but that's something we shouldn't have to let go. You know, Scorpion Mole Boy multiverse. Yeah, okay, yes, of course we let that go. I mean, we accept that. But anyway, again, we're not to belabor that point. But, I mean, I get why they did it though, because like, okay, so they need they need him out of the picture, right? So he can't be of any help to them. When Olivia and and Peter eventually go to find Scorpion Moleboy. So how do you get him out of the picture? Okay, well, okay, he commits suicide. All right, that's one way to do it. But if we have the FBI release him and then, you know, like all the, the time it would take to you know, to to establish that story arc and that that narrative piece, um, they don't have that time. So the, the again, most expedient method is um, he just does it while he's there in FBI custody. That way, the FBI can find out that he's complicit in all this stuff that's going on. Um, but then he gets himself out of it, which then means that Peter and, and Olivia have to go and investigate on their own. We don't know what's what's actually there quite right. Yet. But a- any lack of top-notch writing gets made up for in how Scorpion Mole Boy is actually killed. Because that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you hoist by the, his own petard, you might say. Yeah. So the soil collapses, and the cop car, I guess, breaks his neck or yeah, so I lands what on it does. Him, yeah, is, lands on him. You know, and and, uh, and not so uh, tough now, are you, Scorpion Wool Boy? Yep. And then we get that really beautiful moment between Peter and his father when Peter's telling the story of. Uh, a boy's desire to take his dad fishing. And of course, Walter misses the whole point and then asks Peter if he can go, which pleases Peter 
and 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 again, that's one of the wonderful things about Peter is that he knows exactly. Well, he actually doesn't know exactly who his father is, but right. um, on the one hand, he he knows who Walter is and just accepts him for that. And you know, how many times does he tell a stranger, "Don't mind my father." Yeah. Um, oh yeah, he's crazy. Right. Well, it's it's also kind of you know kind of cute how like Peter says, oh, it's from a a boy who you know wanted to go fishing with his father, but his father's unavailable, and then Walter just just completely goes over his head. He's like, oh, well, I'd like to go fishing with you, you know, like just completely misses that Peter is in fact talking about himself and not some other boy. Yep. So we get a little bit of shapeshifter Charlie in this episode, and you know, Olivia gets discharged from the hospital. And again, I, I love the scene when Peter truthfully tells her, you know, one of your problems, Olivia, is that you don't let people help you. And I'm not sure how much of that registers with her. I, I guess the uh, the future will, you know, tell us how much. But I, I love as he's kind of looking at the cane and she's like, what are you looking at? Find out where the ninja sword's hidden. <laughs> eh, insurance wouldn't cover that again just just really well yeah. done i love that but then we see charlie looking on menacingly from his car as they get in and, and peter seems to be on high alert and he looks in the direction i think uh, yeah. of where charlie's car that, is that's, but that's a that's just that's just a trope that's yeah. such a trope right. you know like you know the bad guy is watching from afar and someone like I can feel their eyes on me, and they look there. But then now the bad guy's gone. Like I, I I've almost felt that that was a little bit beneath them. Yeah, there, you know? right. Now we see Charlie go to the typewriter room to you know uh, communicate with uh, you know whoever, wherever. But we see him holding his stomach as if there's something physically wrong. And again, I'm hard pressed to remember what show, but. I mean, we've seen the whole shapeshifter idea before, and you have to start thinking, well, is there a time limit that he can hold right. You know, th- this well, picture of Charlie? True, but also he was shot. Like oh, before right. Charlie, uh, before Charlie went down, he, he got some shots in. At, okay. At pretty close range. Okay. All right. I forgot about that. So, all right. Okay. So, it could be could be either though. But you're right. Like is, is there you know, cuz yeah, that that is a thing that we're used to like the shapeshifter can only hold the the new form for so long, right? Right. And then we kind of cringe as Olivia's riding with him and you know, you wonder how long it's going to take as we said last time for somebody to realize that this isn't Charlie Francis. And when they start talking about alternate universes, you've come a long way, Charlie Francis. And we're thinking like, yeah, probably from another universe, but. Well, here's another thing that happens there. He calls her Olivia. Oh, instead of live. Yep. Oh, so, you know, I mean, it happens once. She's probably like, "Eh." of course, like, she has no concept at all. This is anyone but Charlie. So, you know, she would probably say, why are you always calling me Olivia, dude? Like, when did you start calling me that? Um, but that's just one thing that, you know, but she's also a pretty sharp cookie. So does she, does she notice that detail? Is that something that she'll kind of store in the back of her mind to later, which we assume is, we, we I imagine they can't go very, I can't remember obviously how long, they went on with this Charlie is the shapeshifter thing. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be more than, I would say probably the next episode he's discovered, if not the one after that. Right. Because as we discussed last time, it's highly unlikely that he possesses Charlie Francis's knowledge of FBI protocols, procedures, you know, investigative techniques. And so somewhere along the line, He's going to reveal the fact that he's not actually Charlie Francis. And, and you know, like you said a few minutes ago, this is fringe. So we don't blink an eye about 
alternate universes and, you know, uh, cortexafan kids and whatever. So, you know, shapeshifter. Yeah. They'll, okay. That's certainly a possibility for the bishops and, and Olivia Dunham. Um, now the last thing I just want to bring up Olivia's travels and again, on the one hand, it's completely absurd. On the other hand, as we watch Walter trying to recreate Olivia's accident, it makes complete sense. What doesn't make complete sense. Did you notice he actually calls her Astrid? Oh, did he? I did not notice that. And I kept waiting for the camera to, you know, show Astrid like, huh? What? <laughs> but, but wait, uh, Walter, are you the shapeshifter now? But then, traveling to an alternate reality has its consequences, and uh, it sounds like you know, oral acuity is is one of them. And then we get the scene where Nina talks to her at the end of her checkup and gives her the name of Sam Weiss, the man who helped me back together or put me back together, and. She brings up, you know, it's not so much the physical, it's the mental and the emotional right. that you're going to need the most help with. Oh, he's a psychologist? Nah, he's nah, not. Not quite. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I saw Sam. I'm like, oh, Sam Weiss, man. He's he, he's a great character. Um, I, I, I do remember some, some bits of Sam. But also the... I think Kevin Corrigan is the name of of the actor who's been in just tons and tons of stuff. But personally, my favorite roles were he was in uh, was he was in Superbad, um, and he was just in one scene in Superbad. But that movie is freaking hilarious, and Kevin Corrigan was uh, was awesome in it too. So, all right, um, anything else? Okay, a couple things. First of all, like. How frustrated are the people on the other end of the typewriter? Like last week, they tell him to kill Olivia. He doesn't. Now he's like, eh, she won't remember. She didn't tell me. And like, you know, like you can just imagine the person on the other end of the typewriter being like, who did I? I, I, I sent the most incompetent shapeshifter ever. Like, just get it done, dude. Right. Uh, Charles Martin Smith. Right. Sheriff Go Lightly. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. What have we seen him in? I mean, tons he, of things. Yeah. Great character. Actor. But, uh, most notably, probably, uh, he was in the untouchables. Oh, oh, he was the, yeah. the uh, accountant and he was awesome in that, but he was also in a, a little known movie of a little known book called never cry wolf. Uh, Farley Moat, Canadian writer wrote this great, great book back in the 60s and i probably would never heard of it except i was in grad school taking a young adult literature course and the teacher assigned me uh for my independent reading to read a couple books by farley moat um and then i saw that this one book never cry wolf was made into a movie and uh charles martin smith is in it and it's a really it's i think it's probably a tv movie but it's really really good uh great story great movie so um yeah you know like uh, they had some i mean they have again the Duchess is in this, John Savage, Charles Martin Smith. I mean, man, they got some pretty high-powered supporting actors in this uh, in this episode here. Yeah, we won't steal Fred's thunder on John Savage. We'll we'll uh, hold yeah. off on that. For that's a bit. How, uh, yeah, that's what I was holding off on that. Yeah, one. Um, but yeah, Meghan Markle. I, so I don't know what the deal is. I I didn't look at IMDb to see how many episodes she wasn't in this one much. They they actually this episode they have her listed as Meghan Markle. Do they? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if they did it with all the others, but okay. Um, so let's let IMDb get it right. It's yep. Meghan the Duchess of Sussex now, boys. Let's get, let's do it right. Just that, oh, they just they're, they're really cool. We trying to recreate uh, the car accident and that that shot with the uh, the frog flying through the air, um, taking pictures of it. I feel like we're going to see something from this. Um, again, that was pretty cool. Oh, and was the sheriff, was he, was he dead at the end? Was he one of the people in, in the tunnel dead? I think so. There was, yeah, I think it was, but it's tough to tell. Cause it was like a body, like right when they start digging and they, I think they saw, I think they saw it. I know. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know he got, you know, taken underground and, right. and so and everything, but the, you know, I mean, it's just really bad parenting episode, you know? 
all all around. Yeah, and and then Peter covers for for Olivia when Broyles asks. He says, "Hey, so uh, she discharged your weapon, huh?" He's like, "Ah, it's a misfire." Like, so I mean, that's you know, Peter. He's he's not a snitch. Nope. Say what you will about him. So, um, all right, I think I'm I think I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to listener feedback. And we heard from Suzanne over in Germany again, who says, hi, Dave and Wayne. First off, congratulations on recording 500 episodes. I know I'm very late to the party, but I'll make sure to be around for the next 500. Hopefully we are too. Uh, I have to say though, that you sounded pretty sober. Wasn't the plan to get drunk. Uh, yeah, well, (laughs) you know, when we used to record together, we never got drunk. Nah. We'd, we'd have a beer or two. It's not like a beer. Yeah, usually. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So uh, you can probably guess it, but I thought I'd officially tell you how happy I am that you'll be covering Fringe for the foreseeable future. I envy Fred and anyone else who doesn't know what's still to come, but I'm already now two episodes in enjoying the rewatch a lot. Like you, I'd totally forgotten that Meghan Markle was in Fringe, but immediately recognized her having seen all of Suits. And I could remember Charlie's destiny, but thought it would happen much later. Then again, as you said, it's been over 10 years, which is why rewatching such great shows at some point makes total sense, right? Right. Now, in my case, what adds to the joy of rewatching Fringe is that back then I watched everything in German dubbed. So it's nice to watch the original version now and hear the actors real voices. And not to binge the whole season, which I did with Fringe, but watch one episode a week, think about it, process it. Listening to your discussion on the first episode was already so much fun. I'm looking forward to continuing my rewatch right alongside you guys. Now, I'd like to make two side notes, not quite Fringe related. You may have noticed I love to ramble, so please (laughs) don't feel obligated to read everything. Uh, You do not ramble, Suzanne. We love it. Firstly, because Fred spoke about his laughing attack while cycling, I'm right there with you, Fred, or I was, I should say. In November and December last year, I listened to your podcast also on my way to work, but unlike Fred, I'm using public transport. German people can be quite boring and serious, if I may may say so myself, and even more so in packed subways. So when I was listening to your podcast there, I got a lot of annoyed looks for all my giggling and chuckling. And God forbid you're laughing out loud in a tram full of grumpy Germans, which (laughs) I did on more than one occasion listening to you guys. You become immediately very suspicious and may as well directly call the police on yourself. (laughs) That's classic. I love, I, I, I have to admit that, that little anecdote that, that, uh, warmed the cockles of my priceless. So yeah. Uh, so this year, I've been listening to your respective newest episodes still at home, which is why I'm now always late to work on Fridays. Uh, my boss has noticed and is moaning, but I will, of course, not explain to him. I have to finish my geek out session with two U.S. dudes before I can leave the house. Um, yeah, don't say because it, it might he might think it's way worse than what it actually is. Like He might take it completely wrong. But anyway, I, however, told him he should stop complaining and instead appreciate that I arrive at the office in a very good mood. I have enough overtime hours, another stereotype about Germans, which is true. We work way too much, perhaps the very reason for our grumpiness. So my boss is not in a position to change my new habit, and I will continue exactly like this. Well, God bless you, Suzanne. Like That's awesome. But please don't get fired because of us. You can listen to us later in the day. Don't get fired, right? Secondly, since you picked up on the X-Files reference in the Fringe episode, and since I take from your website that Dave is also a fan of the X-Files, uh, that show is my first TV obsession. I watched as a teenager in the 90s. I had to fight and bribe for the family TV to get my weekly dose of mysteries. The X-Files were not the only, but a major reason I became a big sci-fi nerd I am today. I feel like that's probably true of, of lots of people, Dave, right? Yeah, well, me for sure. Um, I may have told this story in the past, but you know, at, at that time, 1993, which is when the X-Files first came on the air, um, you know, I was, you know, heavily involved with coaching, teaching. I, I didn't have a whole lot of time for television. And even though I was a sci-fi fan, I was totally oblivious to what Fox was airing at the time. Uh, my wife went out with friends one Friday night, um, sitting at home with the TV and the remote. 
and just happened upon the X-Files. And it was the episode titled Ice, which takes place up in the Arctic and, you know, they unearth some long dormant virus and whatever, but it just hooked me and just got me back into science fiction in a big way. So, you know, that, yeah, that, that's, uh, and as Suzanne points out back then, I mean, I mean, we had VCRs, so you could record right. it, but right. you had to record it when it was on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, and again, I know we've, but it's, it's been a while since we really talked about the X-Files. It's worth talking about because it's, it's such a, a, a important show. Um, I watched probably, I think the first two seasons of X-Files or maybe just the first, um, but in, uh, you know, the early nineties or I guess maybe, I feel like it was like later nineties when did it start? Because I, like, I, I think I was definitely married when the show started. We got married in 97 X files. Yeah. It started in 93. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it probably wasn't season one that I was watching then, mm-hmm. but I just remember we started watching it probably like when we first got married and, um, you know, we'd record it every Friday night, but it was on Friday night, you know, like, so we were never home. We were, we were young and we would, you know, I've said before, we would go out on Friday nights like, like Mary was, uh, back then. So, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, anyone who was around in the eighties and nineties and the, the whole concept of trying to record a show every week on your VCR, uh, all it takes is one extended newscast or a sports game or something. And there really wasn't, you know, there's no on demand. There was all you, you all, the best you could do is, is wait till the end of the season and then buy the whole season on, on VHS or summer reruns, super expensive, right. Or, or summer reruns. Right. Um, so that's kind of like, it just got to be too much of a hassle to try and record and keep up with. And we missed a couple and then it just, that that was it. So, and that, you know, I I feel a, a slight sense of regret, but it, it was untenable. We wouldn't have been able to, to keep. We we weren't watching that much TV then. We were just that was one of the few shows that probably the only show actually that we were actually recording and, and watching. Um, and then it started freaking Jody out too. I, I remember the uh, especially the 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 toilet monster coming up through the latrine or whatever. I, I, I'm, that just always sticks out in my head. But hey, anyway, we what we digress. Let me let me get back to Suzanne's letter here. The X-Files were not the only, but a major reason I became a big sci-fi nerd I am today. I spent my pocket money on sci-fi magazines that covered the X-Files and on merch stuff, and I colored my hair red to look like Scully. Mulder and Agent Krysek were my first two on-screen crushes. I could never decide between these two. A few years ago, when I finally got rid of the piles of magazines I collected, I decided to keep at least a few memories and stick them into the inside of my closet where they make me smile every time I get dressed. What I am still holding on to are my X-Files trading cards. I'll probably keep them forever. There you go. Nerd confession of the week. That's a great nerd confession. Um, that's it for today. Thanks for reading and enjoy discussing episode two. I will for sure enjoy listening. All the best, Suzanne. Yeah, now I have those uh, trading cards as well, Suzanne. I, I Well, I can't see them because my turntables blocking them but uh uh you know the other thing is michael and i uh, and and suzanne i don't know if you know who michael r is he's um you know a co-worker well it's a co-worker of wayne still but but uh he and i used to do a podcast uh the three of us have done you know some podcasting together he's been on sci-fi tv rewatch a number of times but uh Michael and I got to interview William B. Davis, a.k.a. Smoking Man, which was so cool. He was so nice. I remember when you did that. And then in the studio, I'm looking at a signed photograph of Nicholas Lee, a.k.a. Alex Krychek. So, uh, that, that Michael got for me at one of the conventions that, uh, he attended. So that was definitely, definitely very cool. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Suzanne, thank you. Awesome stuff. Let's hear what Fred's got for us this week. Let's do it. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe season two, episode two. 
Okay, let's start with the scarecrow joke, which was very coincidental because in the last episode of The Last of Us, another series I watch and give feedback for at Solo Talk Media, there was also a scarecrow joke. The joke in this episode of Fringe was that these road workers one disappeared there in the field and there was a scarecrow and they do investigations there and then Peter Bishop says, well, Probably he knows, pointing at the Scarecrow. The joke in episode 5 of The Last of Us was that uh, Ellie has a pun book with the title No Pun Intended and there was a joke in it. Why did the Scarecrow get an award? And the solution is because he was outstanding in his field. Well, that's applicable here as well. Okay, first off, getting back to last week's podcast, there was some discussion about the transformation of the shapeshifter. We had first the guy in the car accident with the blood on his head, then the guy in the apartment, the bald guy, then we go to the nurse and then we go to Charlie. And actually we only see the first transformation, so from the car accident guy to the bald guy in the apartment. And that takes really a little bit of time then later we see the body of the guy laying in the apartment on walter's autopsy table and that is the car accident guy so in such a transformation the shapeshifter takes the appearance of the one he kills but the one who is killed gets the appearance of the previous appearance of the shapeshifter proven by the guy on the autopsy table. So when the bald guy gets to the nurse and then the nurse, so the shapeshifter nurse gets to Olivia, there must be a body somewhere of this bald guy. And now it gets weird. Then the nurse goes to Charlie because in that cellar there is the nurse at the ceiling uh, slowly coming down and it's overpowering Charlie. As said last week, that goes far too quick, especially if you compare it to how long it takes to shapeshift from the first shapeshift we see. Then they have to change clothes. And then the very weird thing is that we see two Charlies. And that's what I tried to point out last week. There should be a nurse body that goes into the oven. So if they are keeping their own rules, it's not a Charlie that shoves a Charlie into the oven. Okay, enough about last week's episode. Let's go into episode two. Again, a very good episode. Really, really liking Fringe. Although it's a little bit Monster of the Week-like. Uh, you also talked about it. There is an overarching story, but also a Monster of the Week story. And I think the previous story was a little bit more overarching. But it doesn't matter. It was a good episode. Don't want to go for the A, straight A. So this would be an A-. And we see here John Savage playing Andre Huge, who is the father of the Scorpion Child. And we know John Savage in the role of Lidecker in Dark Angel. In this week's episode, there was a very touching scene that actually Peter invites Walter to go fishing. And Walter is all excited and you were talking last podcast about the bonding between Walter and Peter and what would happen to that when Peter finds out that he is from another universe. Well, that's what we assume at this point. Um, whether this bonding that is taking place now is strong enough to survive the truth. Of course, we have questions what the role of this Sam will be. Obviously, he knows something about the other universe, asking Olivia whether the headaches already started. I hope we don't get into a kind of sick Olivia again, on the edge of her health existence, like in season one with the whole thing going into this water bath and Agent Scott's memories, etc., on the other hand, it's fringe, but I think it should happen to somebody else than Olivia for a change. And what is this about her hyperacusis, so hearing too much, too loud, etc. 
Okay, that will be all for the episode two. Last week, Wayne, you said something like this. In, in the hospital, Olivia is unable to load her gun. You know, like, and that's, so that, that's kind of, now, eventually by the end she is, but that's just kind of weird and even weirder that the hospital staff just lets her keep a gun under her pillow. I don't know, feel like that would not be standard operating procedures in most hospitals, but... Uh, so, I will check whether my wife, who is currently in the hospital, has a gun under her pillow. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Fred brings up the, I guess, the paradox, not really paradox, but the, the, the shape-shifting bodies and, you know, kind of the disconnect between what body should be lying dead on the floor somewhere and... And Fred, I know what you're talking about, and I understand when you get to the end that when we see him dump Charlie's body in the furnace, that doesn't seem to be what we should see at that point. But I'm just going to have to go back and rewatch some of that. Um, I'll fast forward it. But uh, I know what you're saying, Fred, but I... I'm not really sure. Yeah, so I, I, I went back and I kind of fast forward and the scenes he was talking about. And like, for sh- so like, pretty sure the guy on the slab uh, that Walter has opened up is the the driver guy. Okay. Right? And then we never see the, the bald dude's body, right? So I guess that's probably, but you know, again, whatever. We see the nurse and sh- and she is... Um, like climbing, she's holding on to the pipes in the basement and she drops down for them. Charlie turns around and shoots at her, at which point cuts to Peter and uh, and the Duchess. They run down the hall. When they get there, it's Charlie standing over the nurse's body and the shapeshifter apparatus is on her chest. Um, so this all that clearly indicates that the, you know, whatever, like the, the, they, they just exchange whatever, right. You know, the, whatever the shapeshifter is currently when they, he changes into the new body, the old one takes on the current look or whatever. But then we see Charlie's body and that just shoots a hole in all of that. Like, wait, why am I looking at Charlie's body right now? You know, because uh, that, that shouldn't be if anything that, I don't know what that body. Should well, be. I guess it's just a narrative device. Uh, yeah. You know, however awkward and uh, you know, uh, you know, outside the realm of of the rules that they've set forth, as Fred points out in the feedback, to let us know that the Charlie that's alive is not Charlie. Right. Exactly. So, right. You know. Right. They need to do that exactly to show us that that. But then they should have established different rules. Exactly. Right. If they had had the uh, the ball guy on the slab there, then and, and then there'd be some some kind of time enough for the shapeshifter to like shift in the Charlie and to dispose of the one the nurse's body, uh, uh, whatever. Um, it, again, suspension of disbelief. Right. We we just sure. accept it. We're like, okay, I got it. You know, uh, we, we could nitpick, and, and we have, and, and Fred's absolutely right. There, there's definitely inconsistencies there. But in the end, like almost everything that happens with Fringe, we just accept it, and we say, okay, fine, wh- whatever, I, I got it. And like, because they have to, right? They have to, they have to show us Charlie's body so we understand that this shapeshifter is the shapeshifter and not Charlie. And that, so, you know, for how many episodes are going to carry this out, um, you know, we, we know that this is, you know, there, there's that element of menace in every scene that he's in with, with Olivia. Yep. Fred brings up John Savage as, as you bring him up and I knew he looked familiar and I'm thinking, where do I know the guy? And I never looked him up. Of course, Lydecker from Dark Angel. Great, great character. Yep. Also, um, Stevie in uh, the um, uh, the deer the deer hunter. He was in. Oh, that. It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And he was in uh, hair. I don't know if you ever seen the movie version of Hair. I love personally love the movie Hair. I haven't, but he's like the the lead role in that too, with Tree okay. Williams. Okay, um, and and then the, you know the last thing, uh, Fred report back 
whether or not Vera has a gun under her pillow. Maybe things are different in the Netherlands. As right. I always Though, say to Mary. I, I should, yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like it's more likely in America that you're allowed to have a gun under your pillow. <laughs> yeah, good question. Well, <laughs> certainly your pillow, but, certainly uh, in Texas and Florida. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Fred, Suzanne, thank you so much for the feedback. Um, you know, I'm going to go B plus on this one. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was thinking a minus, honestly, okay. I should probably go B plus. You're right. It wasn't quite as good, but I mean, I mean, it was a solid monster of the week episode that had some solid. mythology elements. So and yeah. like, I hardly ever grade higher than you. So I know, I know. So yeah. maybe we should go ahead and leave it there. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, nope. My, uh, my head's pretty empty at this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, that will do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about fringe, the peripheral, anything going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group. If you haven't already sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can contact us. We'll be back next week to talk about season two, episode three of the Fox series fringe. But until then, so, you know, I had like a really mean bio teacher in, in high school. Um, it's, it's just a joke, Mr. Rapture. If you're listening, you, you, were, you were wonderful. I love you. But I, I, have, I have to make you mean for this, this joke. So anyway, um, so, you know, like this, this, this teacher, man, like we start doing genetics and he, he's, he comes up to me. Right? He's like giving a lecture. He just stops right in front of me and he says, we're all victims of our own gene pool. He looks at me and says, someone must have peed in yours. That's hurtful. But untrue. I bowed to teacher's great guy.